0: Hey, why don't I just pray for us and, and we'll dive in. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the time together. Thanks for the time to worship and the time to laugh. Father, we ask that you would speak and you would move, that you would work, uh, that you would meet us, that uh, every single person, this is my prayer, that every single person in this room would, would encounter you in a fresh and new way. And as a result, not only their lives would be changed, but the lives around them would be changed as well. Would you speak in Jesus' name? Amen. Uh, This morning, we're finishing up our series new. uh, And I want to begin just with a question, actually a series of questions. And so you can sit back, relax, ponder afresh. First question. What comes to your mind when you hear the word Christian, I mean immediately. You just what are the the terms the that come to your mind when you hear the word Christian? Uh, next question: um, What what comes to the mind, or what do you think comes to the mind of those who aren't followers of Jesus when they hear? the word Christian uh, a watching world you know f- football traditionally has had somebody in the end zone holding up a big sign saying John 3:16 and when people see that sign, what is coming to their mind? I'd argue today and maybe you would too with me that the picture, the mental picture when we think about Christian, the term Christian, and especially for those who are not followers of Jesus, often is a negative picture, isn't it? It would be hateful. It would be judgmental. It would be exclusive. Maybe a number of other words. This morning, I want to wrestle with that question a little differently. It's at the or of what this whole series is about. And here's the question. What should come to your mind and the mind of every person when they hear the word Christian? Have you ever thought about that? What what should? What are the words? What are the things, the picture that should come to every single person's mind, regardless of what they believe, regardless of whether they're a Jesus follower or not? That is what this series actually is all about. We're talking about what we're calling the profile of a disciple, the picture of a follower of Jesus. And we spent the last five weeks unpacking, that in fact, you have this the profile of a disciple, and you see, one of the things that should come to mind when you hear this is, is this contagious faith. And in fact, the apostle Paul said it this way: that that the only thing that counts. I think we should pay attention when when someone says the only thing, like literally, the only thing. Hello, the only thing. What, what's the thing that counts? Well, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That the profile Disciple isn't a condemning faith, but a contagious faith, a compelling faith. A, a faith that so trust in, in who God is, has a confidence in what he says, that they step out in, in that arena of life, and people around are just going, wow, around them. Uh, another one is this whole idea of meaningful ministry, that, that you're giving your life to something meaningful, that you're investing in eternity instead of the temporal. Uh, another picture that should come to mind that a Profile of disciples is, is so intentional with relationships. Last week, Christina spoke on that. So powerful. This idea that, that we're just not haphazardly going through our relationships, but both inside those of us who are followers of Jesus and those around us, that we're, we're deeply intentional, that we would be known as a people who love extravagantly those around us. A picture that should come to mind, and we talked about this, Steve talked about this weeks ago, is that, w- that we're engaged in life-giving practices. And these are practices, by the way, that recalibrate our soul. These are practices that help us live out who we already are. And finally, the last thing that we say, this is a profile disciple, a picture that should come to mind, what marks a Jesus follower, that what should come to mind whether you're anti-Jesus or pro-Jesus, is those Christians are extravagantly generous. Extravagantly generous. We say it this way, that we have the most extravagantly generous God on the face of the planet, and as a result, we as followers of Jesus are called to live out an extravagantly generous life now did you know did you know that one of the key marks of the early church was extravagant generos- gen- generosity generosity it was this irresistible compassion that they showed for the people around them if if I can just paint a picture of the early church for you for a second, uh, because sometimes we, uh, when we read the New Testament, we read back in our own kind of cultural understanding of Christianity. But what you got to remember is, is Christianity started in hostility. Christianity wasn't birthed as this massive movement, but of a, a, a handful of followers that took Jesus seriously, at his word and were intensely persecuted as a result. No one knew that Christianity was going to become what it became today. No one knew ahead of time that they were going to, you know, that we'd sit sit back and go, wow, there's this institution now of Christianity. There wasn't a church building for 300 plus years during the start. Of Christianity. And when it began, and what was so irresistible about that community was their extravagant generosity, their irresistible compassion, that they just simply took Jesus at His word. And so the New Testament church, the early church, here's, the, here's what people saw. Because they didn't necessarily believe what they believed, but they couldn't deny how they lived or behaved. You know, in the Roman culture, to um, have an abortion was a was a normal thing. But the way they would do it was they would have a baby, and and instead of um, feeling like once the baby's born you need to keep the baby, they would look, and if it was a girl or if there was any deformity, they would take the baby over to the trashy, and leave the baby to die. The early followers of Jesus would go and rescue babies from the trash heap and at significant cost to themselves would raise these kids as their own. Uh, common in the day was a city because when you gather a lot of people together in a city, uh, cities didn't last very long in the ancient world uh, because you'd gather them around. They didn't have good sanitary, um, hygienic process for even disposal of waste and whatnot. And so you would have these plagues that would break out and then the cities would disband. And so you would have the city filled with people who were sick and dying and everyone fleeing to save their their own life, and it was Christians out of their extravagant generosity, their irresistible compassion, because they so believed what Jesus taught that they came into the cities. They would go to where the dying were and minister and care, and oftentimes died with them in caring for their needs. It was Christians that, while being executed while being lit as torches for parties at Nero, while while being thrown in the arena, being cloaked with animal carcasses to be more appealing to the animals, the lions and bears that would rip their flesh, that would be singing hymns one to another, praying for and speaking a blessing over the ones who were persecuting them. What came to mind or what should come to mind? When you hear the word Christian and what came to mind for those people who got to be around the early Christians was this picture of extravagant extravagant generosity irresistible compassion because their lives had been so marked by a savior who gave his life for them and they as a result experienced new life how could they not that by the way in the early church was just simply called normal Christianity not spectacular. That's just what it looked like to be a follower of Jesus. And this morning, I want to just look at three marks of an extravagantly generous church. Because I know for each one of us, especially those of us that call awakening home, we want to be that kind of church. We want to be an extravagantly generous church. We want to be an irresistible community. That the outside world, they may not believe what we believe, but, but they can't deny the lives we live. And they can't, they would go, you know what? I may not believe what they believe, but I want, I want Christians working for me. Because that profile... Man, they live it out. They're they generous, and they're kind, they're winsome, and they work with integrity. I, I want a Christian marrying my daughter. I want a Christian dating my son because, because of the type of person they are. We want to be that kind of church. So let's look at what I, are just three marks of an extravagantly generous church. In, in Acts chapter 2, we see uh, a commentary of the early church. It's, it's our first commentary we, that we get describing uh, what this church is like. Now, now, remember, this is taking place two months after Jesus's crucifixion. So think about this. Two months after Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem by Roman authorities— Two months later, there is a movement of Jesus' followers that all center on the resurrection of Jesus. And this movement doesn't begin way far away from the center of crucifixion in Jerusalem. The movement begins in Jerusalem, and there's this movement of Jesus' followers started by his closest friends and disciples, and we see Jesus, or Peter give this incredible like, uh, sermon, and we see 3,000 people come to faith, put their trust in Jesus, and then we see this amazing commentary. If you got your Bibles, uh, open them up to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. If not, it'll be up on the screen. But here's what it says about the early followers, the first things that we have to describe what that community was like. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship uh, of the breaking of bread, and to the, and and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miracle signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling all their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't know about you, but I love that. I love that picture it's just the it's the spark of a new community that just began to take Jesus at his word and i just want to offer three marks of an extravagantly generous church indicators if you will of living a life of irresistible compassion indicators for us as a community are are we that kind of church uh, the first one uh, the first mark of an extravagantly generous church is they had full devotion that goes beyond mere emotion. They had full devotion. Did you notice that? Verse 42. They devoted themselves. They devoted. They, they, hello. They devoted They were devoted. Some of you are like really devoted to your football team. (laughs) Some of you are really devoted to your job. Some of you are devoted to some other things and you don't ever want to bring those up in public. And I said, hey, we're devoted to two things. We're devoted, and they devoted themselves first to the apostles' teaching and second to fellowship. And then gives us kind of an unpacking of what that fellowship was. They broke bread Which, by the way, something happens in intimacy when you break bread together, right? And then they prayed. And by the way, something happens in your intimacy with one another when you pray together. They were devoted beyond mere emotion. Beyond just how I feel in the moment. One of the problems today is we make our decisions based on feelings and emotions. And, well, I I really feel connected to this church. And then a few months later, you get to know people. (laughs) And you don't feel as connected. I love my missional community. And then someone shares a little bit too far. (sighs) They were fully devoted to Jesus and one another. By the way, that's what it takes. For your spiritual growth, it begins with full devotion beyond mere emotion. It begins with saying, I'm in and I'm going to walk through this. If you really want to grow, you get into a community and say, I'm in. I'm in. I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he says, and I'm going to, hey, we're going to do this together. And it will get messy, and it will get hard, and it won't be all perfect. But they had full devotion. What would it look like for you? What does it look like for you to go, okay, you know what? I I want to be that kind of Christian. I I want to live with extravagant generosity, have irresistible compassion. (laughs) It says, okay, are you all in? There's a big difference between partial devotion and full devotion, by the way. I think we have an epidemic in the church that we are partially devoted. The call, the invitation, is are you in? Full devotion. Um, I think part of the problem is we live in our culture from other people's estimation we live in our culture based on what's hey if someone says something then then i kind of back down from what i actually believe a little bit and and we don't have people with conviction anymore I don't know what happened to a Christian that had conviction, but it's like, well, yeah, I kind of believe this, or I kind of wish you. What happened to conviction? We just compromise all the time, and I don't know. I don't know about this, and we just sway with public or popular opinion. I was in Costco the other day, and it was actually Christmas time, and we're shopping for Christmas gifts, and I'm looking at the books, and this guy comes up to me and goes, "Oh, have you read that?" no and I picked up another book and he's like is that good I'm like they're they're new books I haven't read the books that's the reason I'm looking at them thank you very much and and then he begins to talk with me and he's like yeah I'm reading that book by uh, Duck Dynasty uh, that guy and by the way this isn't I'm not for or against this This it's not an opinion on that show and then he says this it's like just reading the Bible can you believe that this is what I said to him I said well you know I'm actually a big fan of the Bible <laughs> <laughs> you know what his response was well yeah me too everyone should be <laughs> really <laughs> I just don't think Anyways, and here's what I saw in that moment All he did was go with public opinion. All he did was move with the sway of who spoke out their conviction. Full devotion says, I have a conviction that I am a follower of Jesus first, no matter what. You know what the apostles' teaching was? If you flip over to chapter 4, you can see it, because it gives a, what they were teaching about in verse uh, 31. With great power, the apostles continued to testify. Testify is a legal term, by the way. Testify is a term for y- you're in court testifying to what you saw, because they saw Jesus Raised from the dead, and as a result, they lived differently. Testify to what? Anyone there? The resurrection. The center of Christianity is the resurrection, not a book. I believe in Jesus because he rose again from the dead and he has changed my life. And for that, I will give my life. How about you? Full devotion that goes beyond simple, mere emotion. The second mark of an extravagantly generous church is everyone knows they're needed to meet every need. Everyone. you, you, want, you, you Extravagantly generous churches know that everyone knows they're needed. They realize all of us are needed to meet every need. Did you realize it? Notice in verse um, 44 it says, All the believers were together, had everything in common. There is this understanding steward, steward, hello. It's not mine, it's God's. All that I have is God's, and you use it as you will. You show me, I'll do that. Steward, it's not my car. God's car. Not my house, it's God's car. Not my money, it's God's money. Not my talents, not my intellect, God gave them to me. Everyone had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Can you imagine? Think about this. Can you imagine a church where there was never a need? Think about that. Can you imagine a church? We just did um, our generous campaign, which was so fun. And we, as a church, we raised $47,000 to give away to build wells and to education. You can clap for that. Thank you. But can you imagine a church where we didn't have to do that? Because everyone had everything in common where we all realized it's not about that person, but it's all of us together. And when we come together, the collective is better than the whole. And realize that there's never a need because everyone is meeting the need. You know, I hear this from time to time. In fact, I had this happen the other day. Pastor, you're just not meeting my need. So, okay. Well, let's talk about that. I, it breaks my heart. Yeah, I went through this really hard time and you didn't call me. I said, oh man, I'm so sorry. I, <laughs> I didn't even know you were going through this hard time. See? I said, well, <laughs> and then I asked a few more questions. And by the way, this has happened a few times, multiple times, because it, it, it reverses the way we understand church. I said, okay, well, tell me about your missional community. Oh, they're great. Well, did they meet your need? Did they reach out? Oh, yes, they're amazing. You know what? They brought food. They met me. They went to this thing. They went over and above. They went here, there, and everywhere. I'm like, really? So you had seven people meeting your need? Yeah. Okay. But you're mad because I wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Something's wrong with this picture. You just need to know, by the way, if I'm responsible to meet everyone's need, you're going to be really disappointed. <laughs> everyone knew. Everyone knew it was their responsibility to meet the needs of everyone around them. The way we meet needs in this community by is through our missional communities. If you're not in a missional community, get in one, get in a family. I may or may not show up, and if I show up, it's gonna be really bad news anyways, right? You're gonna be in way worse condition than you wanna be because the pastor's showing up. You're going, oh, good Lord, I'm going to heaven. Hello, Ryan's here, Um, right? But where we understand and embrace as a community, it's not the church's job. We are the church, It's not the church's job. It's not an institution. We are the community of the church placed here. Your gifts, your abilities, your talents, your money, your time say, okay, how can I meet the needs of those around me? Thursday morning, we had our morning men's group and any men that aren't a part of it, get up and get there. It's amazing. Uh, And and I show up a little bit early, is about 5.30, show up to the office to turn on the heater, and then I was going to go get a little work done. And I just kind of had this sense that, that down in the quarter, there's someone there, and every once in a while, there's homeless guys. And so I, this morning, I was like, I think someone's down there. So I walk down there, and sure enough, there's a guy uh, sleeping. I go, hey, man. And, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. I'm like, dude, you can't sleep here. Oh, yeah, sorry. And he was very kind about it. What a busy day. I had a lot of other meetings going on, and I just thought, why today, God? <laughs> you know, why why now? Another day would be better to bring someone to sleep on our doorstep, <laughs> but why today? And he gets up and I look at him, he's a young guy. His name's David. And David uh <laughs> he 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 stands up and looks at me, and I go, hey man and he was just freezing. He slept outside all night and he was just shaking. And I said, hey man, you wanna go with me and get a cup of coffee? Uh, yeah, and I mean, literally his jaw was shaking. 24 years old, I later find out. Young guy gets in my car, we drive down to Starbucks, I'm like, hey man, I'm kinda hungry, you want some food too? Oh, that'd be amazing. We sit in Starbucks then for the next hour and just talk and have coffee. And I get to hear David's story. And I get to tell him about a Jesus who changed my life. And he's actually uh, really searching and following Jesus as best as he can. has gone through a lot of hard times. He goes back and I'm like, hey dude, we're doing a men's thing this morning. You want to come to it? I guess. I think he just felt like he had to. I mean, this dude... (laughs) You know, I don't know if he really wanted to, but he had to. And he comes back and he hangs out for the whole time. And I don't know where David is right now, but I hope I see him next Thursday. I'll buy him coffee again. See, I think we pass by needs all the time because we think it's somebody else's responsibility. I think we step over needs all the time because we think someone else will take care of it or or it's just not my problem. It's not my problem you ended up there. It's not my problem you got there. It's not my problem you made bad choices. and You screwed up your life. <laughs> you know when Jesus came, it wasn't his problem. Just saying. You, you know when Jesus came, we made a really... <laughs> A ton of stupid decisions that got us exactly where we are, and we we're getting exactly what we deserved. See the mark of an extravagantly generous church is everyone knows they're needed. You show up here, you're needed. You're needed. You're needed. You are needed. There's no sideline. Cre- we're all called to play the part God has for us to meet every need. And finally, finally, the third thing we see, transformation. Transformation that results in multiplication. A transformation. Notice this in verse 46. I love this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Wow. Talk about intimacy. Talk about Depth. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And so they just sang songs all day long. Said, Oh, we're gonna be a deep church. We're, we're, we're gonna be just so intimate. We're in, in, I don't know if fellowship used to be a word in Christian circles they used to use a lot. Oh, oh we're just going to be fellowshipping together, and it's so good, and it's, and it's us four, and no more. It's. You know, it's just me and Jesus it's and us three, you know. It's going to be so good. No, 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 you, you're kind of messy. We have a good thing going. No, 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 no. You, you can't be a part of this. Find somewhere else. No, 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 no. We may not say it with our words, but we show it with our action. You're not welcome here. See, oftentimes our transformation, our depth results in isolation, doesn't it? It results in a me mentality and how do I get my needs met and if somebody else comes into it, it's somehow going to take away from what I have and oh, don't take that away from me. And what you notice about an irresistible church, an extravagantly generous church is that it was transformation that resulted in multiplication and the Lord added to their number Daily, those who were being saved. Mm. Don't you want to be a part of a church like that? I mean, don't you want to be a part of a community where we look back and and I want to be, wouldn't it be amazing to to say that that God added to our church daily? I mean, let's do the math. I mean, what what is you know seven times fifty-two? I'm just kidding, I know what that is. 356. Wouldn't it be amazing? Or sorry, it's fifty-five, but then we add a day onto it. Sorry. <laughs> Don't confuse me with the facts. <laughs> but wouldn't it be amazing to be a church? That that would see someone step. Into a relationship with the Savior of the universe every single day. Don't you want to be a part of a community like that? I mean, can you just imagine the stories of life change that we get to tell as a community? Because because we're not a church that's experiencing transformation, and so we isolate, so we go, no, 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 it's just about us, but we go, our transformation isn't just for us, it's for others. I've heard it said, i I got to read it. The church doesn't exist for us, but we are the church, and we exist for the world. By the way, if I post that on Facebook, get a bunch of likes, right? Go, yeah, yeah, I like that. Post that on Twitter, get a bunch of likes. See, we like that. We don't really want to live that, though. Because you know why? It's messy. You know why? It impacts our community. You know why? Because it takes extravagant generosity to realize that we exist for the world, and so we're going to give, and we exist for those who aren't here yet, and so we're going to allow a messiness. We're going to allow a growth. We're going to allow expanding of our doors so that those who have yet to hear the good news that Jesus loves them that God came for them in human flesh, died on a cross, took the payment that we rightfully deserve, and then rose again to new life, defeating sin, death, and Satan, that we might have brand new life in return. And we go, no, no, that's just for me. It's my private, it's my private faith. It's a private faith. I like my private faith. It's just me and Jesus and a couple close friends. Extravagantly generous churches, extravagantly generous churches experience a transformation that results in multiplication. Let me ask you this. What kind of church do you want to be? I mean, when you think about Awakening Church in this community and you voted with your feet that you're going to be here and some of you are just checking us out and that's great, but what kind of church do you want to be? What kind of story do you want to tell as a community? What kind of legacy do we want to leave as a community in this city and in this world? What do we want to pass on to our children? What kind of faith will they have as a result of seeing our lives? What kind of Christian do you want to be? In your bulletin you have those little Profile of Disciple cards. I'm going to invite Elizabeth and the team to come up and lead us in some worship. I would encourage you to take the first few minutes and write down an action item. I'd take this card. I We're doing this monthly. This series isn't like a nice series that we're doing. This is a way that we're doing church. We believe that if we become the people God has called us to become, we will unleash a movement of God in this city that is unstoppable. And so we're committed to growing as followers of Jesus. And so would you take this card and just this month, February, and as Elizabeth begins to play, would you take time and write down exactly next step. I'd use it, I'm going to use it as, you know, my um, bookmark. Thank you. It's complex words I have a hard time with, and and be able to use that, and you can do the Bible reading plan and just keep that as a as your bookmark. No one drifts into a better version of themselves, and so you won't either. Will you be intentional? Write down and begin to take the next step that we would be an extravagantly generous church. And for some in this room, the next step for you is to take a step of faith. Next step for you is to step into a relationship with Jesus to experience salvation. You have a God who has come for you, who died for you, who loves you far more than you could ever know, and it takes faith. Where you go, yes, God, I believe. Would you come into my life and make me new? And if you're here this morning and you want to take that step of faith, would you just pray with me? And as a community, would you pray with me? And I believe no one should pray alone. So even if you're, even if you're saved, would you just pray out loud this prayer? Lord Jesus, I need you. Would you come into my life and make me new? Would you forgive me and wash me clean? I believe you came for me, and so I give you my heart. Will you give me a new life in return?